0: CHAPTER THIRTY OF THE MYSTERY OF THE HIDDEN ROOM This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. THE MYSTERY OF THE HIDDEN ROOM by Marion Harvey CHAPTER THIRTY THE CURIO SHOP I sat up and passed my hand dazedly across my brow, and then suddenly I was broad awake and listening intently to the sound that had startled me. The sound of my door opening stealthily. I peered through the darkness but could discern nothing. I waited a moment, but hearing no further sound, reached under my pillow for my revolver, for I knew I wasn't dreaming now, noticing by my radium faced watch that it was close to midnight. Then, as I became conscious of another presence in the room, the light was switched on without warning and I flung out my arm, covering the man who stood there before me. He was a rough-looking customer in an ugly worn blue suit, and his cap was pulled low over his brow. His face was unshaved, his lips were coarse, his nose was thick, his eyebrows bushy, and the eyes beneath were sunken and dull, a dead black in color. "'What are you doing here?' I demanded, holding the pistol in line with his heart. But he did not reply, except by a chuckle, and I flung down the pistol with the cry, "'McKelvey!' "'I'm glad I pass muster,' he said, chuckling again, but I could only stare at him in genuine amazement. Except for that chuckle, I should never have known him. "'Here!' he said, flinging a bundle on my bed. Get into those things as fast as you can and meet me in your library. We have no time to waste, but I knew you would never forgive me if I left you out of this. As soon as he was gone, I attired myself in the battered old suit of brown which he had provided and clapped a greasy cap upon my head. Then I surveyed myself in the mirror and turned away disappointedly. I was disreputable enough in all conscience, for no one would have taken me for anyone else but Carlton Davies, grown somewhat seedy in appearance. How did McKelvy do it? In the library I found McKelvy talking to Jenkins, the latter clad in bathrobe and slippers, as though he had just been dragged from his room. "'Ready?' asked McKelvy as I entered and when i nodded he turned again to jenkins stay out in the hall beside the phone and don't go to sleep if i do not phone you by 1 o'clock call headquarters and tell them to rush some men to Ling's curio shop you understand yes sir answered jenkins blinking don't fall asleep as it may mean our lives repeated mckelvy impressively no sir i'll stay awake you can depend on me sir said jenkins in a hurt tone yes i know i can returned mckelvie come on mr davies mckelvie swung toward me and then began to laugh you're far too clean they'd spot you for a fake in a moment he took what looked like a box of lamp black from his pocket and applied it to my face As we hurried down the hall, I glanced at my reflection in the mirror. My face was a dirty, gray, sallow, unshaved. I smiled as I followed McKelvie into the outer hall. "'Ever read Gaborio?' he asked as we crept stealthily down the stairs. "'Yes.' "'Then you know the advice that Lecoq gave his men when they wanted to disguise themselves.' change the eye he said the eye is the important factor in disguise he was right and i have spent some time practicing the maxim try to look stupid and your eyes will deaden not that way and he caught my arm as i made for the lobby the back entrance for ours unless we want to land in a cell at the police station we sneaked out into the back yard around the building and out into the street where a motor car was waiting all right, Wilkins full speed ahead said McKelvie as we got in with a jerk we were off toward the park. Now, I demanded, what's it all about? You've got your pistol with you? he asked, and when I answered in the affirmative, he went on, don't use it unless i give you leave the less shooting the better for us i expect is it lee i inquired yes my offer of reward hustled things up a bit mckelvie leaned forward and called out faster wilkins we'll never make it at this rate he's in danger then i said as we tore around corners and down side streets to avoid the cops yes but let me begin at the beginning wilkins got onto the track of a mysterious taxi that had been seen on mott street about four fifteen the afternoon of october the eighth and while he was hanging around one of those chinese joints he saw two toughs lounging down pell street and evidently discussing the reward since one of them was waving the handbill in the other's face wilkins followed them into an eating-house and by securing a table next to them overheard their conversation it seemed that they had identified lee as the young man they had kidnapped and they were weighing the respective merits of giving their information to me or blackmailing the old man as they called whoever had hired them the younger tough was for telling me but the older one seemed to think that they could make more from the old man whereupon the younger one declared that the old fellow was stingier than hell and reminded his companion that high ling had tipped them that the young man was to disappear that night after the boss's visit at one o'clock when the men separated wilkins followed the younger one and by many judicious hints and the added compensation of some money and promised immunity from the police, he got the rest of the story. This fellow and his companion had been hired to kidnap a young chap, and they had deposited him in Hyling's back shop in an upstairs room. There was something the young man knew that the old man wanted to learn so much he had gathered from the chinaman who kept the shop. In other words, lee knew something of the murder and the criminal wanted to find out just how much or else he wanted to keep lee from giving evidence it doesn't matter which the main fact remains that he is holding the boy a prisoner well when he realized that through my efforts i was bound to learn where lee was since he did not trust the toughs He gave orders that when he had paid the boy his customary visit at one o'clock, they were to get rid of Lee for him. One more murder wouldn't disturb his conscience very much, I guess. Our only chance lies in getting there ahead of the criminal. "'How do you know it's not a trap?' I asked. "'I've provided for that by my orders to Jenkins. If it's a trap... "'The police will have to rescue us, that's all. "'I feel conscience-stricken, lugging you into what may turn out to be a fight for life,' he added. "'You needn't. I wouldn't have missed it for anything,' I returned. "'But why don't you surround the place with the police right away?' "'Do you know where we are going?' he asked curiously. "'To Chinatown, I should judge,' I answered exactly they keep scouts on the watch at those places which are respectable without and hell's within the moment they saw the sight of a uniform lee darwin would disappear and no one would ever learn what had become of him days later an unrecognizable corpse would be dragged from the river i shuddered what a horrible end for the boy if we should fail to reach him in time at this juncture the car stopped with a jerk at the corner of mott and hester streets and we piled out wait here for us if we do not come back by one thirty you can go home said mckelvie the man turned off his engine and settled himself to wait and the next moment we were hurrying toward pell street then we turned another corner and modifying our pace lounged carelessly toward the back entrance of Highling's curio shop. Remembering Lecoq's advice, I tried to look dull and stupid as McKelby opened the door. We stepped inside the shop and faced the Chinaman seated behind a counter at the rear of the room. He was a fat old Chinaman, and he gazed at us stolidly as he smoked his pipe. In a coarse voice, McKelvey asked whether the old man had come, saying he had sent us to stay with the prisoner until his arrival. The Chinaman looked at us unblinkingly for five steady minutes, then he waved his pipe toward a rear door. We shuffled toward it as fast as we dared, and I, for one, expected that every minute he would call us back and question us more closely but he did not move, and we gained the doorway and saw before us, in the flickering light of a gas jet from above, a staircase, steep, narrow, dirty. This we climbed and found ourselves in a small entry with a door at the back. Stealing to this door, McKelvey listened intently for a moment, then drew his revolver and tried the door softly. It was locked, shifting the gun to his left hand he took out a long narrow steel instrument which he inserted in the lock as the door yielded silently he stole into the room and i followed him closely i did not hear but i knew he had closed the door behind us and then his flash glowed and the disk of light darted here and there over the black interior of the room or rather hole in which we found ourselves it was empty save for a narrow cot on which lay an inert figure apparently asleep we moved closer to the cot and mckelvie let the disk of light rest upon the face of the man before us it was lee darwin i could not be mistaken but he looked as though he were in the last stages of some terrible disease His form was quite wasted, his eyes were mere sunken hollows in his ghastly face, and his cheekbones stood out prominently where the flesh had fallen away. I contemplated him in horrified silence until a touch on my arm recalled me to action. "'I'm afraid he's too far gone to walk,' whispered McKelvie. "'We'll have to carry him. The main thing is to get him out before the criminal arrives. I don't think the old chink will give us much trouble. Silently McKelvey bent over Lee and shook him into consciousness. The boy opened his haggard eyes, stared at the flash, then shuddered away from McKelvey's restraining hand. Go away, he said feebly. I have nothing to tell you nothing i say mr darwin said mckelvie soothingly it's all right we only want to help you get away lee turned toward the sound of the voice a dawning wonder in his eyes then as the sense of mckelvie's words penetrated his dulled brain and the sound of mckelvie's rich voice fell like balm on his spirit which had been harassed for days by harsh voices and coarse threats, he put out his hand and pushed aside the flash, which McKelvey still kept focused on his face. "'Help me get up,' he said. In the darkness we helped him to his feet and got him out into the corridor, where he collapsed again. So we lifted him by his head and feet and carried him down the stairs. When we reached the bottom, we looked across into the placid face of the old Chinaman, contemplating us fixedly from the doorway. End of chapter 30